Today's episode of the Goldcast is sponsored by the fear and loathing of the offseason. Man, Ray, it's already beginning. Of course, with one of our rookies, uh, this is just the... Uh, the fear and loathing, trouble in paradise with our 49er players, which we're going to talk about right now. But before we get into that, Raymond, why don't you let them know where can they find us? Uh, you can find us on Facebook.com slash The Goldcast. You can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram at The Goldcast. On Twitter, it's at The Goldcast underscore. You can also subscribe to us via iTunes, YouTube, and Stitcher, all under the same moniker of The Goldcast. Like, comment, subscribe. We'd love to hear from everybody, and we always do our best to comment back. Unless you're a dick, then we won't say anything. Don't be a dick. 2018. So, Ray, we're about to get into it. We're going to start with Reuben Foster getting arrested, followed by some divisional round madness, and then a little preview, a look ahead to Warriors-Cavs 2 tonight. But first, the intro to the Gold Cast. Let's get busy. San Francisco, are you ready? This is the Gold Cast. Boom! Welcome to another edition of the Gold Cast. We are the voice of the Bay. I'm your host, Rudy Solisa III, and with me is my brother, my co-host. Raymond Solisa first, baby. Boom! So, Raymond, here we go. Reuben Foster gets arrested for some marijuana charges in Alabama. Am I right about that? Alabama? Yeah. Had he been in California, it would have been a non-issue. We wouldn't even have to be talking about it. You know, this is the kind of thing that you usually see right around June and July as players get really, really stir-crazy. So to have it happen in January, just weeks after the end of a very the most successful losing season in 49ers history i i it's frustrating it's frustrating to say the least I, I i don't really care that he was doing that it, whatever it's just like come on man you got to know where you are you got to know your surroundings and to get get caught up like that on the heels of of the season is disappointing when yeah like you said could have been in california would have been a non issue uh, what are your thoughts on that well, to be honest, the first thing I thought when I saw the news was I thought about Alden Smith because Alden Smith, I think one of the five charges he got busted for was marijuana possession, but he also had what, possession of a firearm, domestic violence, DUI, running into a house, hitting another car. Um, you think he had two or three DUIs. So obviously marijuana possession in comparison to all those other charges for Alden Smith, they pale. So to me, it's like, okay, will it stop here? Or is this the beginning of another Alden Smith scenario where we have an incredible talent that just can't seem to make good decisions off the field but makes all the right decisions on the field? So it's kind of a wait and see. It's the first offense. I know they're still gathering information. I'm pretty sure he's going to get a slap on the wrist for this. Uh, but who knows? I mean, that was the, the Balky era was very lenient towards talented players that got in trouble off the field. But John Lynch is like, hey, if you get busted once, you're off the team. But at the same time, Ruben Foster just came off a very good rookie season. He's obviously has a lot of upside that's un, you know untapped potential. So there might be a little different case versus some of the veterans who got in trouble recently and John Lynch just gave him the boot. So it's just it's just a wait and see scenario for now. That's what I think anyways. Yeah, definitely. 
You know, I agree. And I think this is a really good test for John Lynch to see how is John Lynch going to handle this? What is going to be the culture of this new era of 49ers with so much potential waiting in front of us? This is a really good test for John Lynch. What What do you think? I, you, what kind of slap on the wrist should he get? I mean, I don't know if it's warranted like a suspension. Of, you know, what do you think would feel like a justifiable punishment? Well, the the NFL has their own set of rules. So if something like this was to happen, NFL would typically, you know, give you a fine and or just suspension depending on the severity of it. So I don't know if the NFL will still answer this because it was like, you know, end of the I don't know what the rules apply. Like if a team is, you know, it's off season for the Niners and it didn't happen like during a game or during the regular season. So I don't know what, if the NFL is even going to get involved, but every team has the arbitrary right to enforce their own, you know, code of conduct punishments to things like this. So and every team is very different. So it depends. Some teams are lenient. Some teams are very strict. John Lynch has indicated that he doesn't tolerate this kind of behavior. So I think if anything, probably a fine, maybe a one game suspension. I would expect something, one of the two or both. I think a fine is pretty good. A fine and then a conversation, hey, just remember where you are and don't act stupid when you're outside of California. When you're outside of California and the rules are different, you know, you should know you're not right. from here. So frustrating to say the least, but let's hope it clears up. Um, before we move on to some divisional stuff, did you see the thing about uh, Jimmy Garoppolo getting paid 56 k if the Pats go to the Super Bowl and then another 56 if they win? And he also got yeah, paid for them a getting couple, to there's the— there's a couple players. Uh, there's uh, one of our defend, defensive players uh, was played for the played 10 games for the Jaguars before he, he goes cut, and then we picked him up. So he also got a bonus. I think 50, 56 grand um, for the just because the Jaguars were in the playoffs uh, yesterday. So, and if they proceed to the Super Bowl, then it's basically Jimmy Garoppolo versus I forget the player's name. Uh, I think I think his last name is Day or something. But um, they're both if they're basically competing against each other. So if the Patriots go, Jimmy gets 56 grand. If the Jaguars go, then Day gets 56 grand. Those are great rules because Jimmy's like hanging out in Chicago and he just got a random check for $56,000 for being with the Patriots. That's a pretty sweet deal. So Raymond, let's talk about this, the divisional round. How great was that round? It was insane this weekend. It was crazy. It was, um, I basically only guessed one out of the four games correctly since the Jags topped the Steelers, the Vikings topped the Saints at the last minute, and the Eagles edged the Falcons. And the only one that was legitimately on par was the Patriots game. I think we all saw that as a blowout, an easy blowout. Uh, basically, you know, automatic, as another individual said. So, But it was great. I mean, uh, I hope the Jags can take that to the Patriots because I'm sick and tired of seeing Tom Brady in the goddamn big show. And... The Vikings, up-and-comers. Eagles, up-and-comers. So it's nice to see all these new, younger teams kind of making bids and beating out the old veterans. You know, Matt, um, Matt Ryan's out of it, Drew Brees is out of it, and Ben Roethlisberger's out of it. Those are all veteran players that are now out of it. So and up uprising now are the young talents, even though Carson Wentz is not playing with the Eagles. You know, the, the rest of the team is still good enough to give it another shot next week, and we'll see what they can do. I, I saw people complaining that we didn't have Matt Ryan, Breeze, uh, 
Roethlisberger and Brady in the final four. And I'm like, who the hell cares? It's 2018. I, I'm excited for the new blood. Case Keenum really, really proved himself out there. That final pass to Stephon Diggs, one of my favorite fantasy players, by the way. I've had him on my on my roster for two years. Always kills it. Balls out, especially this year. Anyways, Keenum really proved his mettle out there. He got he got them he got two two different drives um, to that generated scores for them in the last minute and a half. You got to give it up against a super red hot New Orleans team that had come all the way back in the second half of the game. And I thought Keenum really proved that he was supposed to be out there and Bortles showed up. Let's talk about that Pittsburgh p- collapse. Is this once again coaching? I feel this once again comes down to Tomlin. Well, Tomlin's part to blame. He's not the sole reason to blame. I understand he's a head coach. So, I mean, he gets, you know, the mo- the, bi- the highest percentage, the biggest piece of the pie in terms of blame. But the defensive coordinator couldn't stop the Jags. You know, every the, the Jags only punted once, I think, yesterday. So other than that, every single drive, they put up points on the board against a team that how many times did we stop the Jags? We stopped the Jags, you know, quite a bit. I mean, they got some garbage time points, but we still put 44 up on them. Not even the Steelers could do that. So and we kept the lead. They were playing from behind the whole time, which is something that the Pittsburgh didn't do. Jags got out to an early lead. And if you do that, Blake Bortles is more prone to succeed than fail if he has a lead. If they were to do the reverse and it was like 35-14 against the Jags, and I think Bortles would have struggled because he just gets antsy, gets anxiety, you know. But uh, the big difference in this game was the turnovers, the two turnovers early. The fumble and the interception ended up being the, the, the main primary difference in this game because that swung enough points in favor of the Jags to edge the Steelers because it's only a three-point difference uh, at the end of the day. And so if you take away that fumble return for a touchdown, then this is Steelers, the Steelers game. So just one of those turnovers. So I, I would blame Roethlisberger a little bit. I would also blame game planning because the defense never showed up. They never got a stop when they needed to. So whoever the defensive coordinator is, I think you put some big blame on him because this is a unit that collectively played pretty well throughout the entire regular season. They were top 10. So the fact that they showed up in a game, where they needed to show up and did not execute, then I think I would talk to the defensive coordinator because I was like, where's your second half adjustments? You know, whatever adjustments he attempted to make in the second half did not do it um, and yielded more points, you know, almost double. What do you think about the Jags defense allowing them to come back so greatly? I think that's indicative of the fact that Pittsburgh has a terrific offense and a Hall of Fame quarterback. They have Le'Veon Bell who can catch uh, out of the backfield. He can also he's also a ter- terrific runner. Antonio Bryan, despite being 5'10, is still the top, the best receiver in the NFL. So you have a three-headed monster. And then Ben Roethlisberger, the Hall of Fame quarterback, you know, who's who can facilitate and throw it. I mean, fourth down seemed to be the money down for Pittsburgh. Um, anytime it was fourth and long, you know, Ben would just take it on his shoulders and make an incredible throw. So um, when they needed to make plays, they did because they have a great offense. They have a good offensive coordinator, and they have a lot of great weapons on that side of the ball, including on the offensive line. They have uh, a Pro Bowl lineman there. So a lot of weapons there. I think that's what it came down to. So, But uh, the Jags will have to tighten things up against the Patriots for obvious reasons because that offense is just as potent, if not more so, than Steelers. So. They're going to have to put a lot more pressure on Brady. They're going to have to play tighter man. And, you know, because Brady distributes the ball a lot better than Ben Roethlisberger does. 
And so they're going to be on the, they're going to have to be on their P's and Q's because AJ Bouye, he didn't give up a touchdown all season and he gave up a couple yesterday. So got to shore all that up before you go to New England. How do you feel about the Jags chances against the New England Patriots? I feel like if, if, of all the defenses that were in the AFC post, this one defense is best designed to have a shot at knocking them off before they get to the Super Bowl. What do you think about that? They got a shot, but they got to they got to do exactly what they did this game, only they've got to keep New England out of the end zone more so than they did against Pittsburgh, which is going to be a tall task for any defense regardless of how good they are. So, I don't I don't know if it's going to result in the Jags winning. I don't. I kind of give the edge to New England, but Knowing that I can't stand that team, um, I'm just going to bet against the Jags any, or bet for the Jags anyways and say they pull out the win. But in order to do that, they're going to have to do exactly what they did this game. They're going to have to get out to an early lead and then force New England to play from behind. Even though Brady is comfortable doing that, as was Ben Roethlisberger, it's still a better position to be at versus playing, behind, playing from behind against New England because that's not the Jags' strength and that's not Bortles' strength. And as long as he can do that, I think he'll be fine. And Fournette's got to have a big game too, just like he did today. He had a great game. He had played a great game today. He was he was terrific. He almost, I almost thought he was going to get injured and get pulled out of the game, but he came back in there. So, you know, kudos to him showing a little bit of fortitude there and some backbone in a crucial game. So he's going to have to do it again. Yeah, it's going to be an interesting game. Definitely far more interesting now that we uh, we've seen what they did against Pittsburgh. And now I'm really really interested and excited for that game. And I like. Like everyone who doesn't live in New England, I think we're all hoping for a Jaguars upset. Uh, New England is coming out at nine and a half point favorites. Can you believe? Of course it? they are. Does that sound? Does that feel realistic to you? Nine and a half points. Um. Yeah, I mean it. Yeah, yeah, I'd say that. I might be a little bit of a stretch since the Jags just put up forty-five. You know, they put up ten more points than New England did the, the same weekend. So. I think a, I think five or seven would be more realistic. Yeah, versus nine. So let's move over to the NFC side. Uh, Falcons lose. I mean, Philly was hot from the get-go, but they kept it low scoring, ugly game. I mean, this was, you know, nasty defense. This, remind, this is the kind of scoring you would see versus the Harbaugh, Carroll, uh, Niner Seahawks days, you know, 15 to 10. Uh, kind of sad to see Matt Ryan's team fall. I think you and I both have a soft spot for Matt Ryan and the Atlanta Falcons, but uh, it was just not their day. Philly showed up. Uh, what are your thoughts on Philly, man? That defense came to play. They're great. I mean, seeing them and the Vikings go at it's going to be tremendous because they're both. I think both defenses are pretty much pretty well, pretty even in terms of talent and depth and execution. So. But I think the Vikings are just a little bit more complete. We'll have to see if Andrew Sandejo passes concussion protocol from that mean hit he took from Michael Thomas. If he does, then that'll be good. If he doesn't, then that gives that gives some swing back into the Eagles' favor. But I just don't trust Nick Foles against that defense. So if I was a betting man, I'd take Minnesota in that game. Well, now you have the number one defense versus the number two defense. Uh, Case Keenum. The final ending, the, the play everyone's been talking about, I, I thought that ending, the final minute and a half of New Orleans at Minnesota was insane. was totally nuts, man. It, it looked like, I thought, obviously, Keenum got, 
Keenum and the Vikings drive down. They kick that big field goal. Still too much time left on the clock. You know, you still got over a minute left. New Orleans gets the ball. They drive down and score. Then we're down to like 25 seconds left. I'm sitting there thinking, there's no way. I'm sitting with I'm sitting with my wife and and we're looking and it gets down to about 10 seconds, third and 10. And I'm like, this is over. You know, this is this is totally over. What a bummer. But, you know, happy for New Orleans. That's a that's a big one. And she's like, it's over. I'm like, oh yeah, yeah, this is pretty much done. And then he shoots that pass to Stefan Diggs. New Orleans misses the tackle. He runs it in for the touchdown. And we were like, what? We just like jumped up and started freaking out right in our living room. Like, oh my God, that ending was insane. Uh, cousin, our cousin Brian, he he sent us a, a, a great tweet. ESPN had posted that the the last two walk off TDs like that to happen in the last five years were both against the Saints. Today was Minnesota five years ago, or actually 2001. I think I remember six years ago. 2001 or 2011 was 49ers the catch three, Alex Smith to uh, um, uh, Davis. Yeah, and here's the great thing is that Drew, you you can always feel confident about your chances in a game with Drew Brees, but I would never feel confident against a Saints defense in a crucial moment like that because they just even though their defense is better this year and they've got a you know rookie of the year candidate, they've got a great pass rusher, they've got a good some good uh, players back in the secondary, but uh, just it kind of it reminded it. I thought of Alex Smith in that same moment. I was just like, oh, wow. I was like, once again, the Saints defense, regardless of what era, you know, just can't seem to come up with a big stop when they need to, you know, even though Drew Brees does everything possible on his end, you know, the other side of the ball just always seems to fail him. Yeah. You know, the, the, the defense was basically what had been retooled and it was revitalized by their rookie cornerbacks. And it was their cornerbacks that failed in that moment. It, I I don't I, yeah I mean it, I get I get the intention of the hit and then you know spur of the moment you know milli we're dealing with milliseconds I can't say that he was wrong for the way he approached that tackle but of course there's a part of me that's going rap man put your arms out grab the legs and this is done you're going for this like big shoulder hit when all you have to do is open your arms and wrap and and it and it's a wrap then he's for they're forced to uh, kick a field goal and you know the chances are much lower than what what happened. But a really great finish. I heard, I was hearing this, Bill Simmons brought this up, and I thought this was a really good point, that when you have a tortured franchise that's on the road to, like, you know, getting to the Super Bowl, they always kind of need that big miracle play, you know, and you see it in all kinds of different, you see it in all different sports, like the tortured franchise who's trying to get over the hump, and they're in the postseason, and then there's, like, that big miracle play, and that's the play you go, man, that's when everything changed. You know, the cat the catch for the 49ers is a, is a is a big one. And I they're calling it the miracle in Minnesota and I have to agree. I really agree with that sentiment that that I think if Minnesota goes, that's the play. That's the moment where they went from the tortured franchise to the road to the ring and I I think that was it for them. What do you think about that? I you know that that I feel like if I'm from Minnesota, that's the moment, man. And if this is going to happen for him, it begins right there. That's their version of the catch. It depends. If if they win next week, then yeah, which I think they will. And if that's the case, then sure enough, that'll be the the play. 
you know, the, the play that, that kept them alive, the play that, you know, that kind of gets drawn up into their, their team lore, you know, as the Niners have a ton of plays like that, but that'll be their first. Cause I don't think they have a championship. No, they don't. They don't. In fact, right before, right before they, right before they kicked that field goal, they went through like all of the frustrating and sad, like Minnesota playoff losses, like all of these like super close games in the final moments. I didn't realize how many there'd been, but they went through a bunch. That was, there's a lot. I think Dennis green is one of the more successful coaches in that franchise. Who's also comes from the, uh, 49er tree. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was a really, really great big win for Minnesota. I'm happy for them. I thought I'm really happy for Case Keenum and Stefan Diggs. I thought they really pulled it out and it was a, it was a great way to cap off what I thought was a really good, uh, divisional weekend. Yeah. It was a fun show. I, I didn't see any of the games. I was listening on the radio cause I was working, but I thought the radio broadcasts were terrific, which, um, was ended up being a, a blessing in disguise because in the brief moment that I saw some footage, um, I realized Joe Buck was on one of those calls, one of those games. So I was like, oh, God, I need to get off this real quick. I can't stand him. And he was just as vanilla as he always is. He's like, I'd rather watch Ice Cubes melt than listen to Joe Buck. <laughs> uh, trolling. He be trolling. Uh, Raymond, so final topic of the day. Warriors at Cavs part two. This is the game we've been waiting for. Everyone's here. Little Isaiah Thomas, LeBron James, Kevin Love on our side, Kevin Durant, Steph Curry, Draymond Green, Clay Thompson. Everyone's here, man. So this is both teams fully loaded. What do you expect to see from tonight's game? I think it's going to be very competitive. I don't have any doubt that both teams aren't going to show up because this is a possible finals championship preview. What are your thoughts on this game tonight? Yeah, I think the Cavs are going to show up because they lost three. They dropped seven of their last 10. They're in third place in their division. They're seven behind the Celtics. So they have a lot more to play for, whereas the Warriors are just trying to keep pace, stay on top of their division. They had a really sloppy game in the latter half against the Raptors, but luckily they came out on top. You know, Raptors are a good team too. They're 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 like 29 and 12 now, but you know they're they're a good team. I know they were they were pretty good a couple years ago. So, um, you know, it was a fight. You know, and everyone keeps playing the Warriors exactly how they've been playing everybody the last couple of years, which is why we've seen a lot of blowouts and double-digit leads kind of dwindle in the latter, you know, in the crunch time minutes of a lot of these games, just because a lot of teams. Uh, when the Warriors get ahead, they'll put in their second and third units, and that's that's one of the reasons why the the lead of uh, the cushion begins to dissipate. The other part of it too is that teams are starting to fight the Warriors with their own medicine. It's still not working because the Warriors are 35 and nine, but that's the reason why they're starting to stay hang around into games a lot better than they used to the previous three years, is because they're starting to adopt the Warriors' philosophy. The problem is. They, the, these teams are just now, this is the first year where I've actually seen teams catching up and actually trying to implement the Warriors style. But the problem is what they're trying to implement, the Warriors have already mastered. So, and that's, and that's reflective in their record. You know, they have the best record in the association. So, and that's because there's, they continue to do what they've always been doing and they're, they're getting better. So I think defensively they've, they, in terms of statistical data, they've they're not as efficient as they were in previous years. But 
they're, they still lead the t- lead the league in blocks. You know, they 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 get the stops when they need to, and they you know when it comes down to crunch time, there is no better team to bet on than the Warriors. So I think the Cavs are going to put up a good fight tonight, but I'm hoping that the Warriors, within all their strength, they're really kind of step up and play. Because I know Curry's going to play, Durant's going to play, so that'll be huge. I don't know if I think I think Clay will play. So if everyone's at full strength, you know, this will be the matchup that we wanted to get on Christmas Day. So we'll see what happens. The Cavs have a lot more to play for. I don't know if it's going to be enough, though, because they're a they're a liability on the defensive side of the ball, no matter who's in there. So it's funny you say that because that's, that's exactly the narrative that is finally really starting to take shape. And I have been beating this like a dead horse. I didn't even, all I needed to do was see the trade on paper to tell you that this is exactly what was going to happen. And now you, now you have article after article going, whoa, we're not sure if this really works. It's hard to, it's hard to hide uh, Isaiah Thomas on defense. The, the team is struggling already. Now they seem to have gotten even worse. I, these are the same pundits that when this trade happened said, man, the Cavs have gotten only stronger. Adding Isaiah Thomas makes this team so much better. Blah, 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 blah. And I was like, this, I, I don't understand. Are we watching the same sport? Because this is so clear to me just how how anemic this def, this already dead defense is going to become now that they've added Isaiah Thomas, and that's exactly what everyone's talking about, the defensive woes of the Cleveland Cavaliers. I, I don't see how, even if they win tonight's game, let's just say the Cavs decide they're going to they're gonna barrel it through and they're going to make it happen and the Warriors kind of step off the gas pedal a little bit. I still don't see how this team is going to be competitive come June. I don't see it. I don't even know if they're going to make June. Let's put it that way. I, you know, they they've had a lot of up, ups and downs, and they seem to really pull it together when it when it's time for the post. But they're in third place. I don't remember a time in the last four years where they've dropped to third place. Do you? Not off the top of my head, but then again, I could care less about the Cavs. <laughs> Ray, who do you think wins tonight? Warriors are six uh, six point favorites in Vegas. I'm going to take Warriors at twelve. Warriors by 12. Warriors by 12. I like it. I like it. I think they win two. I'm going to say Warriors by six. I'm going to go with the Vegas odds on this one. I'm going to say right. I think they stay right at six. We're going to find out. I'm really looking forward to that game. Should be a good game. It's nice to have a big game on Monday now that Monday Night Football is gone. Raymond, before we leave, why don't you let them know where can they find you? You can find me on Twitter at Ray Solis, and you can also follow me on Instagram at Ray Solis one Yeah. You can find me, Rudy Solis, on Instagram and Twitter at Rudy Solis3 and on, uh, oh, Rudy Solis3RD on Twitter, on Instagram, Rudy Solis3. So concludes another edition of the Goldcast. We are the voice of the Bay. I'm your host, Rudy Solis III, and with me is my brother, my co host, Raymond Solis the First, baby. Boom! We'll see you next time. Same Goldcast time. Same gold cast. This is, is the gold cast.